Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're listening to The Sang Show, the show about nothing and everything. I'm your host, Cliff. And today, I have another special guest with us. I have the founder of Salam International Resources Leadership Performance Strategist Consultancy, Carlos Salam. How you doing, Carlos? Hi, Cliff. I'm great. Good, good, good. I'm excited to have you on the show and excited to have this conversation that we're going to have as well. So, you know, thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come on the same show today. Yes, thank you. Pleasure. So really quick, before I introduce the topics, I'd like to do like what I always do and take a shout out all the listeners in all 60 plus countries. Thank you guys for continuing to like, share, subscribe and follow the same show. Spread the word about the same show. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Continue doing your thing and helping get the word out about the same show. And if you're listening and you don't already follow us, be sure to check us out on Instagram and Twitter at same underscore show again that same underscore show s-a-n-e underscore show and then you can find us on facebook the same show again on facebook that's the same show so today we're going to talk about mental toughness and peak performance something that you specialize in carlos and then we're going to have a conversation about the new generation of athletes, something that I'm really excited to have a conversation with you about as well. Following that, we're going to have an interview with you, ask you a few questions so that we can learn more about you, the things that you do, and all the exciting things that go along with that. So let's go ahead and hop right into it with mental toughness and peak performance. When I was putting this together, obviously, again, you you specialize in this and want to have this conversation with you about it. You know, one of the things that came to mind for me is, one, there's a lot that can be said about this topic. And when I think about mental toughness, especially as someone who used to play sports, football, to be specific, I remember a coach telling me mind over body, right? We, we even hear that in martial arts and others, physical activities but i think there's like a connotation to it that when we talk about mental toughness it often is associated with anything relating to physical activity or even combat and i think it can be applied to much more outside of it. if you could you know go ahead and share your thoughts on the on the mental mental toughness part of it when we talk about how it can be applicable in so many ways yes mental toughness is survival strategy is an adaptation to pressure. And we can say that pressure is perceived. For some person, a threat can be extreme, and for another person, it might be small or non-existent. But still, uh, when we perceive a threat, we have different reactions. And with Dr. Jim Lair, sports psychologist with whom I work in the 90s, and who made a tremendous contribution first to tennis and then to all sports, we codified these responses. The first one is, and especially when we're young, you know, when you're a young sport competitor and you feel pressure, you might walk away. You might say, not my day today. <laughs> you can have the match. <laughs> it's quitting, tanking, now withdrawal. We don't want to fight. It's a way of also preserving our self-esteem. Many junior players, you will see that they want to look good. So they 
want to look as, as if they're trying, but they're not, and they mm. lose. And it's very difficult to justify. That leaves a mark, that leaves a scar. The next level is we get angry and uh, we blame everything but ourselves. Is another way of protecting our self-esteem. But if you're in a team sport, that is uh, dangerous because you are not being a team player if you blame absolutely everything but yourself and you do not take responsibility. Then as we grow as competitors, as we adapt to pressure, we might choke because we try very hard. We might be paralyzed by fear or because uh, we don't know exactly how to solve a situation, how to make a decision. But uh, by then, we're really fighting and we need to unpack this issue of choking over time because no one wants to be called a choker. Again, Mm -hmm. especially in team sports, it's all about exposure gradually to pressure uh, because otherwise if you choke it's very difficult to justify you were ahead in the game you made a mistake then two more then three more then you lose the game (laughs) the match (laughs) and you're crying at home in bed you know and the world is over so you know we have tanking anger choking and the most desirable best well-trained response the one that the champions have the resilient competitors is the challenge response that it doesn't matter what happens, I will find the solution. That's mind over matter (laughs) in my interpretation of what your coach was telling you, because that means that I might die here today. I'm prepared to leave everything on the field. (laughs) That is also the, the war metaphor that doesn't really apply to sports, but is really to put people in the frame of mind over matter. Because I might run out of time, but I will try to find the solution before the game is over. And when I find a breakthrough and I win, that's how I have interpreted the challenge as a lesson. That's when I learn. We not only learn when we lose, we learn when we win. Especially because we can really figure out what was the breakthrough and how can I replicate it in the next training session and in the next game, no? So it's a progression. <laughs> wow. You, <laughs> you know, you, you said so much there. And it's so, it's so funny you said breakthrough. And then you talk about replicating it. Because now I'm yeah. thinking about perseverance, right? And yeah. persistence. And then being consistent. And obviously thinking about what I've been experiencing in my personal life. All of, like yeah. all of these things are so true, especially when you when you said that the last stage, the challenging stage, like yes, that is it. So I imagine all of that leads to the peak performance. Am I not mistaken? Actually, understanding that you are operating in the challenge response is the signal that you are on the path to peak performance because peak performance is a bit more complex. Because in essence, you come to the game or you come to the company or to your job with knowledge, skills, attitudes, and habits. They hire you from the CV, from the resume, because of knowledge and skills. But on the job, on the game, you have to show the attitude and habits that will help you win and win consistently. So that is trainable. That has to be trained, those four components. 
And the goal is to operate in the ideal performance state. With Jim Lair, we identified that when we're doing everything correctly, when we have trained correctly, when the nutrition, the sleep, the strength training, everything through the weeks have been compiled properly, we are in the moment. We don't think about technique. We don't think about the score. We are loving the challenge. It might look like Vietnam out there, again, with the word metaphor, but this is what I was born to do, okay? I want to beat these guys, and it doesn't matter what happens. I will find the solution. There is a calmness that the athletes report, and these words that I'm telling you are the words of all the champions that we interviewed. We interviewed over 440 athletes to understand what is the ideal performance state. How do you feel when everything is going well? So there is a physical route, which is based on stress recovery waves. It's a typical theory of training that your coach knew, that every coach has to know, to dosify, you know, to have the right dosage of how much stress and how much recovery, to feel that I am in the ideal performance state, but then there is a mental and emotional aspect where the attitudes and habits start to count because that's when you see how the champions act the feelings that they want to feel. Most of the athletes, if you look at the Panthers or any football team, you know, a tennis player, a golfer walking, a race car driver, they look cocky. Some of them, they look look like cowboys, men and women, because that is an architecture of posture that is driven by high positive emotion. That's how they need to feel to face the fear. And then is the ability to shift thinking and find solutions, sometimes in milliseconds, when things are not going well, when the trouble appears, (laughs) when I need to find the stray shot. And finally, all these physical and emotional routes have to be ritualized. That's where the consistency comes from. That's how you create capacity from one training session to the other, from one season to another. Uh, It's called periodization. It's uh, what the good coaches, especially Olympic coaches, have to do. Take the long view, forecast, and plan every week in terms of how much do we need to do to get the results and for the players to be constantly in the ideal performance state. All right, we're back. So you know, I wanted to talk to you about athletes. You know, I dropped a lot of gems in the previous segment. And some of that I, I know is going to roll over into this segment because you know, not much so wanting to focus on, you know, okay, is this generation, this current generation better than the previous generation, but really just wanting to take a look at this new generation and analyze it a little bit as far as the differences in which they have to go through. Because, you know, I listen to people much older than myself who love sports and they talk about this new generation of athletes and how, some say that these athletes don't work as hard. Some say these athletes have more to deal with, with the advent of social media and 
more television time and always being interviewed and things of that nature. And so like more pressure, uh, media pressure, and then societal pressure because they, these guys are being spotlighted more. And talking to you, one of the things that comes to mind is, okay, how do they deal with this? And is there more of a need for mental toughness and peak performance consultancy because of the environment that they live in now more so than the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s before all of this stuff imploded? I would say that the answer is yes. Okay. There is a constant need for mental training and there is a constant need for the very best mental training coaches. And I know that I can only talk about my sport, the two sports that I handle, which are tennis, which is my sport in my entire life, and now motorsports. And it's a bit irregular, both the, the knowledge and the application. And these things that I've been sharing with you in the previous segment that Jim Lair developed and championed, I believe we promoted together all over the world, they are not carried through this generation in the measure that we expected. So you have a lot of academic knowledge, a lot of research, but it might not be practical enough. One thing that I loved about working with Jim is that we didn't invent this behind the desk. We took video from the athletes and studied what actually happens. And then we found the patterns. And then we asked them, how do you feel when this is happening? And then we look at the chemistry at that moment that that emotional aspect was happening. That's how you get the full picture. So the athletes today, yes, they have a lot more pressure because they have a inside the field and outside the field lives. Mm -hmm. And they both have like a nine or a 10 in pressure. So how much time does that leave to the me time, the inner person, the family person, the person who wants to explore other things. It's fantastic to see, for example, Lewis Hamilton winning championships in the way that he's doing it because Mercedes-Benz figured out that they had to let him leave. The guy has many interests. He will do his job. He will do all the media they want him. But when he says, this is my time, that's it. Let him go. Because otherwise he will not win in the same way. Yeah. And that's the configuration of today's athletes' life. They have to have a better understanding of how does it become holistic? How do I keep the self together? Because I have a real self and I have a performer self. And those two have to be in constant communication. That's how we talk about performance. It's truly the performance on the field, on the stage, in front of a camera, and in a corporation, in front of a microphone, talking to thousands of employees, is the same type of architecture emotionally. So it's very important to, for coaches to understand what are the stresses, how much recovery do they need, how do they need to train. A training like crazy might not work today in the same way. Sports science has allowed us to know a lot more about the dosification and the rest is observation. The rest is how does this individual, you know, the personalization is very important. How does each individual in my team respond? Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, 
know, I think about it because, you know, one of the things we talk about in the entertainment business is understanding that these people are human too. And so it's important for the performers to know that they are human as well. Because especially you talk about, okay, this is me on the field. This is me off field and understanding that I need to be dedicating to myself off the field just as much as I do in the game. Yes. When I'm, so everything that you're saying in this, this process really does speak or really mostly speaks to the human side of it. Like you, you are human. You need to recharge. You need to focus on your, your mental health and your physical health. Like so that you can stay ready for the next thing that's coming. Yes. Uh, in fact, we put that factor, which we, tra- which we call training recovery as part of the physical route that leads to the ideal performance state. I don't know if you know, but I am a produced playwright. I produce, uh, I wrote and produced a play in three different countries, Argentina, the US and England. So I work with actors because they do what I tell them to do. <laughs> I write. <laughs> so I understand also on the stage, because I produce films as well, what you just mentioned, this importance to train for the performance, but then when do I back off? How I use my time to train recovery? For for the athletes, we ask them to track exactly how they use that time. Do you go see your mother? How much time spent with your girlfriend? (laughs) Do you take a vacation? What do you read? What is intellectual stimulation for you? All that is absolutely essential because otherwise you don't find the juice emotionally to deliver 150%. That's very true. That yeah, is yeah. very true. Because I can definitely speak to that from personal experience, doing the things that I'm doing with the show. And and the, the more intense it becomes and understanding that, okay, I got to step away sometimes, especially when we talk about the creative having to put forth creative energy into what you do, which is also crucial. (laughs) True, yeah. All right, we're back. So, Carlos, I'm going to ask you a few questions so that the listeners can learn more about you, your background, and the work that you do and all the exciting things that go along with that. So with my first question, you have made a career as a Renaissance man, you know, working in sports, medicine, theater, film, and television, corporate training, and more. How are you able to join these things into a unified career? Basically, I'm very curious and I need constant intellectual stimulation. And I was born in a family that trained me to be this way because they were like that. My parents are doctors in chemistry, but we always had new books and records at the house. I had the opportunity to watch TV for the first time when I was 14. So I had some years to do other things. And my parents thought that tennis was like learning a language and actually tennis saved my life and changed my life, uh, living under military dictatorships in Argentina. The connecting thread is really the performance aspect. I knew how I wanted to feel. I really wanted to live in the ideal performance state. 
before I decodified with Jim Lair, but I knew how I wanted to feel versus the pressure that we had living under the dictatorships, the way that uh, people were treated in my culture is quite aggressive. And I saw the world as large and interesting and attractive. So with tennis lessons, I paid for a trip through Europe for two months in which I enjoyed every second. So that was my trial run. And when I decided to quit medicine to put all my efforts into being the best tennis teacher I could and could be and working with the best. That was really the platform, the passport to be ready to work with Jim Lair. And on a handshake, I told him that I would make him world famous. And I did so by going to Dusseldorf, Germany and living in a couch for eight months spending 25 bucks a week of my own money. And I built a speaking tour, uh, had six cities and then IMG, the largest sports marketing firm in the world that was managing him says, who is this guy? What does he want to do this? Because we don't know what to do with you. And I said, uh, give me a green card and I can do this uh, forever. So it was from the interesting performance to knowing how I wanted to feel to understanding how you feel this way and how everybody could feel this way, especially if they're under pressure, and then applying it to the success of world-famous people in many fields and having the satisfaction to see that it translates. That really, if you are going to face any kind of performance, you can train for it and you can succeed. And along the way, there are great breakthrough opportunities. Like Gabriela Sabatini, my friend, when she wanted to quit five months before the US Open 1990, but she won the US Open 1990 after training with us. That was a proof of concept that this approach is phenomenal. That's awesome. So the boardroom and the tennis court at first glance couldn't be more disparate places. Why is your training able to cross between the two worlds? The metaphor of sports is very powerful. And I had friends who were following what I was doing and the success we were having with athletes, uh, starting with Sabatini. And then every top player in the world was basically training with us. Then Olympic athletes and race car drivers. And my friend said, especially in a Swiss bank, and that became my first corporate client, said, I've been watching you and I want you to train my best people, the people that are under pressure having to bring billions of dollars by themselves to the bank every week to feel that they are corporate athletes. It's good when the client makes the connection and when you don't have to tell them how the connection would work. Is it, And that is because the metaphor of sports, if you like sports and if you understand that something is at work here, why do people win? Why do people lose? Why is this person winning all the time? Why can't this guy win when he's so close? No, they have these questions. And this science of peak performance answers them. So that is the crossover is that when the corporate persons start to realize that they are executive athletes, 
that they had to train to achieve for breakthrough and for extraordinary results. No? That is very true, especially you start talking about why does this person keep winning? Why does this person keep losing? Why can this person not finish? So, yeah, so, so, so much truth to all of that. Many athletes have stories of hard work and intensive training to become what they are today. What about your clients' stories lend themselves to the narrative of documentary format? Well, I work with the Fittipaldi brothers, the grandsons of Emerson Fittipaldi, the two-time Formula One world champion, two-time Indy 500 champion. He's a fantastic person, very profound, very thoughtful. And Pietro is now the test driver for Formula One team has. He won a world championship working with me in 2017. His brother Enzo is in Formula Three with a division of Mercedes-Benz, Team HWA, and won a regional European championship in 2018 with me. So this is a story of ordinary people or young people doing something <laughs> extraordinary <laughs> because uh, Emerson was a nobody in Brazil. He just liked cars and he was a good mechanic. His grandsons, same, you know, they have this monolithic passion. That's the only thing they're going to do in their life. Now they have to win. So that is fascinating because when you put it in a documentary format, especially for young people, we want to tell the story of possibility. We want to tell the story. It doesn't matter where you are. First of all, you're going to understand about training for success. Second, about not following anybody else, following what you want to do. And then... Yes, there is a commonality in the approach that you're going to take because, as I was saying, there is a way of living and operating and winning in the ideal performance state. But that is a training. That's the methodology. First, it's very important for you to, to want, to have the tremendous desire to be unique and to do something very well, to do good work. And when you watch the best documentaries, you see that they have those elements. Huh? That is that is super impressive. Uh, that that really is. Yes. So you've worked with clients of various levels of success in their field, everything from underdogs to C level executives. What differences in mindsets do you see in the two groups, and who would you say has a better foundation to work from? The difference in the mindset. I would relate it to something that your audience might know or it would be easy to find is uh, Carol Dweck's work on the growth mindset. I think it's the book of the same title. So the growth mindset is this type of person that we're talking about, the big performer who feels that by loving the challenge, they grow. By being where they are, is nice, but they want more because their mission is to grow and to help others grow. The static mindset thinks that life is predetermined, that there is nothing they can do, that if you were born in a certain way or you have a handicap, that's it for you, accept it 
and there is little creativity about what alternatives could be there for me. How can I be extraordinary even if I'm ordinary or if I have a handicap, for example, if I don't have money or other recourse, resources? So the work of someone in my position, you know, a leadership performance strategist is many times to unblock more than put them on rails is how can I unblock something in the thinking that is undermining the possibilities? If they are already very good and very determined and they have clear goals is how can I refine especially the aspects of fit performance, the physical, the emotional, the rituals, the habits, to accelerate the transformation. And if they're already absolutely exceptional, like I have world champions with me, how can I replicate this? This has to last. <laughs> this has to be even better than ever. Yeah. So it's just about if you backtrack what I said, it's really about the questions. Number one is what has to happen for me to do it? The second is how can this be better? And the third one is how can this be phenomenal? Yeah, it's very true. You, you definitely hit it on the head when you were talking about the mental blocks. <laughs> yes, yes. The majority of us, uh, if we analyze why something is not happening, mm -hmm. <laughs> there is something that we're diverting and there is a, a phenomenon well-defined in Harvard Business Review many years ago called the competing commitments. We say we're going to do something, but we don't do it because something is competing for attention or energy or resources with the solution. So it's very important to say, why don't you go to China? They are sending you to China with triple the salary. I mean, because maybe you say, because I lose my friends at the bar. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's something absolutely rational or minor, but you need to, to know, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, well uh, I, I, I tell you, Carlos, uh, you are full of insight. Uh, you are full of insight. Listeners, if you are listening, make sure to take notes. These are really some great things. I know I'm going to go back and listen to this and take notes myself because these are things that are definitely applicable to everything. Carlos, I appreciate you taking time coming on and sharing your insight with us on, on the work that you do. Go ahead. Now it's a pleasure. Now, if I make a note about you, I remember exactly when we met <laughs> at an event uh, a long time ago, and I was very impressed by you and what you wanted to do. And I think you're in the right medium right now. So, <laughs> thank you so yeah. much. Thank you so much. I I appreciate that, and I'm I'm so glad we kept in contact. An honor to have you on the show because you know again I I respect you a lot and follow the work that you do, and it's extremely awesome. Uh, really quick, if you could let the listeners know where they can find you. I, I know there might be somebody out there who might be able to use your services one day. Thank you. Yes, my website is saluminternational.com, S-A-L-U-M international.com. I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, on Instagram, under Carlos Salum or Salum Carlos. So I look forward to receiving comments and I'm releasing my book online, The Glass is Full and a Half, and it will be launched with workbooks and the chances to 
uh, go to work on these important topics in October. That's good. That's good. I'm excited for that. I definitely have to be on the lookout for that myself. Yeah. Listeners, you heard him. Be sure to go check him out and be on the lookout for his book as well. You know, great guy, again, full of insight and knowledge, as you heard here on the show. And again, make sure to follow the same show. Make sure to continue liking, sharing, and subscribing. And you guys are listening to the same show, the show about nothing and everything. And until next time, we're out.